When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by Blue Moon Made Brighter. Get Blue Moon delivered and see delivery options by visiting get.bluemoonbeer.com slash CHGO. Celebrate responsibly. Blue Moon Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, Brendan. It's been a while. It's been a while, Corey. What What did I miss? What has happened in the past two weeks? Have you caught up? Have you seen all the news? I know nothing, Brendan. I'm assuming that everyone is still unsigned. And people were texting me. They're like, "Is Corey alive?" I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, he's alive. He's got some family duties he has to attend to." But you were well alive. I made sure that you were still breathing and you knew the news and you were all caught up. So credit to me. Credit to Cody and I. For taking over CHGO, doing a podcast at two in the morning in Chicago. I'm on a daze. I'm producing the show. I may have been CEO of All City that night, Court. Right. Yes. Uh, so appreciate. Uh, I'm I'm sure there was a large number of you that were oh, yeah. just uh, up distraught of distraught. my absence. For a I actually weeks. did feel sad you weren't there. I'm not yeah. going to lie because we were talking about this for years that we were waiting for right. a late night move like this. Yes. So I was at my brother's wedding, uh, yeah. which did take precedence over Cody Bellinger's signing. However, I was awake uh, to see the news. Uh, but not, not in a state to join not in the a right mental state. That's yes. that's fair. That's yes. fair. You were just very happy for your brother that night. Right. That's what was going on, right? And I think there's there's a weird like you know karmic or universal element that I think one of us needed to be busy for something like this to happen. We we, we I needed to be unavailable to will it into being because that's just how it would go, right? We've been available and waiting for the signing to do the emergency podcast. And of course it happens like the one out of five times a year, you and I are not available. I mean, I don't even remember in my, like, what, eight years doing this with you where we have not been available for something right. like this in eight years. Right. Of course, it has to happen. But as happen. I promised for quite some time, I said that in some form or fashion, the CHGO Cubs team would assemble. Didn't matter if it was 6 a.m., noon, 8 p.m., or as it turned out, 1.30 in the morning in Chicago. And I believe we were one of, if not the only outlets that were live within minutes of that signing. So kudos to you, Cody you. and Ryan. It was a great show uh, and you. a great reaction. So thank you. I'm, I'm sad to have missed it, but I'm glad that it happened. So on this episode, we will touch on, I know that, of course, the signing, uh, you know, closer to about a week ago, and he's already in camp. It's been made official. We've done the press conference, uh, but would like to 
offer our thoughts in a, in a fuller form. And uh, at least this time, I think you're mostly sober, Brendan, and it's not midnight. A little so, bit. A little bit. Uh, maybe can articulate some things better. So we will talk about that. And I think, you know, really bringing full circle. Now, of course, the offseason not over. There's still clients unsigned of Scott Boris. So we'll see if the Cubs have anything else up their sleeve. I, I would guess not, but we'll see. Uh, but we'll talk about, you know, where the roster stands now that Bellinger is back in the fold. Obviously, the last several episodes you and I were doing, we were kind of proceeding without him. So now kind of reconfiguring with him. And then, of course, we'll touch on everything that's that's going on uh, at spring training. Uh, you know, they're back in Chicago now. But before uh, I have something to show you. But oh, OK, uh, yeah, before okay. we we get to that, that's sort of the outline. Well, now, I'm, now I'm excited. Um, and of course I, I don't think I said this, but you know, welcome into the Friday edition of the CHGO Cubs podcast. We are coming to you. I, I actually had to check my calendar cause I never remember what I, it, you know, I never remember what comes after February 29th when we're in a leap year throw, you know, I don't, is it 30 days, 30, I have no idea. I don't even know. It is March, Brendan, as, as it, you and I are March? talking to our loyal listeners, it is March 1st, Friday. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Cody and Ryan, uh, in particular for their coverage in spring training. Uh, they were out in Arizona and Cody, uh, was a man of the people boots on the ground. Ryan, of course, uh, you know, writing great articles, talking to the players and coaches, Ryan, dude, Ryan killed it. He was like among the few getting those dead center cuts, yeah. all those interviews, all the backfield practice videos, yeah. Ryan killed it. Absolutely. Uh, so as he would say, credit to Cody and Ryan, uh, job well done out in Mesa representing yeah. CHGO and CHGO Cubs. But what I have to show you as okay. if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you may be able to tell I'm in a different location than my last several episodes. Uh, I am still in Los Angeles, uh, you know, aftermath of my brother's wedding. Yeah. And that means I'm Love at my LA. parents' house. And yeah. being at my parents' house means that there's some artifacts around the house that I didn't move with me to Chicago or that are in some box somewhere in the garage. And uh, I found one that I wanted to see show you. So okay. it's, it's an article of clothing. I'm going to put it on. Be here. slow. Don't yeah. knock over the mic. For right. all of our listeners of Spotify, come on so, over to YouTube. We got, look at that look jacket. At now for, I got to, you know, clear my eyes. For a second, I thought you were Mark Pryor. Right. It Ooh, is, uh, if you were listening on your podcast feeds, this is like the vintage 2003 yeah, dugout jacket that. that like Dusty or Mark Pryor that, would have been that wearing. thick collar, you know, that super thick collar. Yeah. Look at that. I and, have the uh, same jacket. It's, it's, a, it's a majestic product, so yeah. it is not, you know, see-through or... Horribly yeah. cheap, like some of the products they don't, we're seeing. They don't now. make jackets or baseball apparel like that anymore, yeah. Corey. That I, is I wasn't I wasn't gonna item. keep this on for the whole show, but I'm kind of feeling the vibe. It's you know, I can tell the collar is massive. Is. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I have the same jacket. So when I was like eleven years old, I got an adult sized medium, and that thing went down to my knees, and I wore that almost every day. Man, look at that patch. Like the, you can tell it's such a sturdy patch yeah such high quality yeah well and kudos to my parents for uh buying this for me when i 2003 i would have been like 12 
So yeah. that was that was clearly one of those like, okay, this kid is psychotic about this now, so we have to indulge this. You know, the, the get him the jacket, so he leaves the, us alone. The parallels in our lives. I have that jacket. Yeah. I got it when I was twelve. We're both Buffalo Grove kids. The, Look at us, and it's got on the arm. Yeah, walking bear on the arm. Yeah. I know they how could, you feel. They about could that. have done without but, that, but it's still it's a gray jacket. I I don't know the last time I put this on. It probably was a less happy time as a Cubs fan. But uh, anyway, my fashion aside, let's get good. into the meat of the show. Uh, and we you know we'll, we'll we'll talk about Cody Bellinger. I think you know we talk so much about Cody Bellinger that most everybody's thoughts were pretty much already on record before he signed. But my initial reaction to him re-signing were two things, Brendan. One was, you know, okay, good. This was something you had to do. You had to bring him back and find a way to either bring him back or replace that offense that he provided for you last year. Uh, But it was also that Jed pulled it off. He pulled off. It was very risky. It was always risky that somebody outbid you or was willing to do something you weren't. And we can debate that strategy for a long time. He's always going to have that strategy. So for however long he's the president, we can debate that strategy. But in this instance, he got his man and he got him on terms that he absolutely loves. Brendan, it is not long term. He can opt out, but you are not as Jed always sort of says, like sacrificing the future for the now. And I, I can't imagine that Jed could be any more thrilled than how that played out. The worst case scenario here is that he plays so well, he feels confident in opting out after the season. And then you have the same conundrum, but hopefully by then, at least your prospects are more developed. There's a new free agent market. There's a new trade market. And if that's the worst case scenario, so be it. In the other scenarios, the reason he doesn't like long deals, the worst case scenario is you're paying a 38-year-old player $25-plus for no production, which is why he doesn't want to do it. So, hey, we said we would come on and, and you know admit that Jed pulled off what he was trying to do, and I think he did. I still think there's a larger discussion, which we'll have, but on the surface, for me, I'm shocked. This is Bellinger's contract. Now, taking a step back and realizing, okay, it does make sense given the Carlos Correa precedence. I'm still surprised to see it only 80 million guaranteed. And I look at Cody's contract. I look at Shota Imanaga's contract. Going into the offseason, Shota projected maybe around $100 million for guaranteed money. Bellinger, at minimum, we saw 150, 160 upwards, 12 years, 200 and like 50 ish. Jed gets these two guys for literally half of their projected salaries. Yeah. So we can talk about the overall picture and the complexities and how the roster is constructed for 2024 and 2025. But I give the front office credit. They held out, they got their guys at very affordable rates. And what I like most about the Bellinger deal is that if he does perform well, it gives the front office more incentive to lock a player like that up because we had the extremes in the positive and negative uh, directions with Cody over the years. If he has one more year like he had last year, that is such an important data point in projecting his long-term value that I imagine 
Jed would be more comfortable giving out that longer-term Dansby-type contract. So win-win from both sides in the immediate, but more so I think also a win long-term in that it gives Jed more of a validation to go out and extend them if he performs well. Yeah. Well, and you know, look, worst case, I guess another worst case scenario is that he regresses, looks less like the player last year and one of a few years ago. And then it's a two year deal after that. So, so what, you know, well, then, then 2024 is ruined. 2025 is probably ruined as well. And we're going to be miserable. So let's hope that's not the case. Well, I mean, this is the case with a lot of players, so it is what it is. But again, credit to Jed. Like we yelled about the process and at least in this instance, he was able to get a player on his terms and the sort of staring contest that he was having with Scott Boris, they blinked, they blinked first and Jed got what he wanted. Um, I think, you know, bigger discussion when the, and I, you know, I don't know when it'll even be the time to do this. Maybe when everybody is off the board and like the off season for sure feels over kind of for everyone. Um, you know, I think bigger discussion of was this off season a success? For this team, did they position themselves the way that they want to? I don't think we're going to have that discussion today, but my initial reaction to that is no. Um, I still think, as you and I have talked about, like kind of wanting a higher standard from this organization. Uh, but I do feel as though when you look at how the roster is constructed, are they the prohibitive favorite in the division that I wanted them to be? I don't think so. But when we look at this team, I think you have a legitimate belief and reason to expect that this team can absolutely win this division. And I think you can kind of look at it now. And I, I would look at the roster and the way it's shaping up, especially with Craig council and everything and say, if they don't win the division, I think that they can set that as a barometer for themselves to judge success or failure in this season. I think for some people that's just going to be making the playoffs but I think with where this division is and how they've managed this roster, the expectations we have for some of these prospects, I'm looking at this as division or bust. You have to win this division. Anything less than that is not quite good enough. But at the same time, if you're the third you know, division winner versus a wild card, there's not that much of a difference other than the pennant that you get to hang at your stadium. So if let absent of a significant acquisition this will be the cubs roster and by significant right. you can include montgomery yeah. snell chapman sure even if they include one of those guys from the market their win projection is likely not not going to dramatically shift how i view projections right now they're projected at 81 wins with bellinger on this roster by fan graphs they're projected as a 500 team with a payroll that's just below the first tier of the luxury tax by $3 million. So take away all of the uh, circus that this offseason was with Shohei and Cody and Boris and the late blooming free agent market. Just looking at how much money is committed for 2024 and looking at the expected win record it seems like a misalignment. I would expect if the Cubs are spending that much money that a win projection of 81 would be much higher. And then I start thinking as me judging the front office, even though I like the Cody Bellinger deal and the Shota Imanaga deal, if 
a year now or two years from now when Tom does evaluate Jed and they do maybe negotiate a longer term extension, I imagine Tom will look at this period and say, hey, Jed, you were at the first tier of the luxury tax in consecutive years and you did not win the division. Sure. What's going on? And yeah. Tom may actually evaluate that in terms of going out and getting someone else in an extreme form. Well, and look, that's something we heard about, uh, I think, Theo as well. And again, everybody that has ever listened to us, and if you're new, I'll explain it briefly. We are never defending ownership. We want the payroll to be as much as humanly possible, given how much money they have, how much they charge us, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada. You've heard it a million times. So I'm not defending it. But I do recall Tom talking with Theo and some of the questions of spending and all this other stuff. And he would point to like, look, this is what we spent. This ought to be good enough to win some games. And if yeah. it's not, then that's on the person I gave this, the money to. This and, is Theo and again, Epstein, you can right? debate Theo that, Epstein. but that's what Tom is going to say. Yeah. But Theo Epstein, World Series champion, Cubs executive. This yes. In 2016. That's correct. Okay. Not yeah. a failure. World Series championship executive for the cops just correct just clarifying that but uh you know really and and kind of looping back to some of the stuff we had talked about with bellinger in the 800 episodes we did before he was actually back as a chicago cub i think one of the the main things and i i know he talked about it a little bit like i think one of the most important things about this outside of the obvious you know getting your the guy who was your best hitter last year back in your lineup but it's the effect it has on PCA, man. And we talked about this. You and I did a whole episode where we kind of argued against the idea of certain guys blocking prospects or that being a primary concern of people. And bringing back Bellinger, I always believed this. And of course, I believe it now that he's back on the team. It is such a good thing for Pete Crow Armstrong. And I think it's it's wild to think otherwise. It allows this team to put him in the absolute best position to succeed without relying on him to be ready quicker than he may be. In a scenario where you don't have Cody Bellinger, you are relying a lot on Mike Talkman to repeat a performance that he has not always been able to repeat at the major league level. And perhaps you end up having to push what you are asking of him to a more unreasonable amount of plate appearances or you have to rush PCA up or hope he adjusts as quickly as possible to some of the things that he needs to adjust to. And there's no safety net there for either of those guys. With Bellinger, they can have PCA break camp with the team. They can have him start in Iowa. I know he's already made some changes to his swing, his stance to try to adjust to the high velocity struggles that we saw at the major league le level last year. And this allows council, the front office, everybody to say, we are going to do what is best for PCA for him to grow as a player and to help this organization for many years to come rather than the attitude being, Hey guys, we need a center fielder and we kind of need him quickly because otherwise this season is, we, you know, we don't know. So it's a great thing for PCA. And I think that was one of the most important reasons outside of, again, the obvious that you needed to bring Cody Bellinger back because otherwise you just did not have a good situation in center field and you didn't have the ability to be so careful with such an important prospect. The ability for Council to use PCA to optimize his development while still winning games is 
probably going to be his greatest strength, Council's yes. greatest strength. We talked about David Ross versus Council. I trust Council with this situation more than any other human being in a dugout. Yeah. And what I also trust Council with is if there's an opportunity for PCA to take hold of consistent playing time, I think he's going to get that. I think Council will give him to that. I think he'll figure out how to get both he and Cody's bat in the lineup on a consistent yeah. basis in a best case scenario. I have full confidence that the best hitters will play. There will be no blockage and it will work out. And to your point, this is the ideal safety net, if you want to call it that, to ensure that that possibility has the best chance of happening. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen it before. Like, not everybody is built like Chris Bryant was, where when he comes into the league, you put him at third base. And he just goes and wins every major award. He adjusts very quickly. Oh, you need me to cut my K rate by 10% next sure, year? Why no not? problem. Fine, not I'll best. do it. I'll do, Not only will I do it, but I'm going to yeah. win an MVP while I and, do it. So, and a World Series too. Right. Okay. Not everybody can do that. And it, no. and and all these prospects and situations aren't, aren't apples to apples, which is something I say too much. So I apologize yeah. if you guys hear me say that a lot. But it it sort of reminds me of like early Javi Baez usage and how Joe Madden was so careful and deliberate yeah. about where he would play, how he would play. Cause obviously you have this guy coming in with some major strikeout concerns, but also this power. And also you're trying to get him to adjust to, Hey, you have this insane speed, agility, ability, but you have to figure out how to use it appropriately. And I think his development would have been a lot different if Javi was in a situation where he had to be the everyday shortstop and if he failed, then the team might also fail. That's yeah. a very difficult ask. And again, not everybody is Chris Bryant and you can just ask that of them. So I think PCA gives me a similar vibe, not that, and obviously him and Javi were traded for each other. So it does give a similar vibe, similar energy, sure. Chaos, but it, it, it reminds me of that in that, sometimes the best way for a player to eventually turn into that everyday player, that all-star, that MVP candidate is to take it really deliberately at the start. And like you, I trust Craig council extremely yeah. in this, but having that assurance now that Cody Bellinger is back allows you to say, do we want PCA in this matchup today? Is this a good one for him? Is this a good one for him to test those adjustments he's been making? Is he overmatched here? This is a bad idea. Don't, not today. It allows you to have that flexibility. And I think that is crucial, not only to the team's success, but PCA's long-term growth and success as a prospect and player. The Javi bias comparison rings so many parallels. The parallel for Javi and PCA is that when they both debuted, they both struggled, granted, in a smaller sample of PCA, but they both struggled with making contact. Javi Baez was called up in 2014. Excitement all over the place, but ultimately he finished that year with a sub-60% contact rate. In that sample for debuting players, that's among the lowest contact rates in Major League history. PCA comes up, we saw the struggles against high heat, and he couldn't uh, make consistent contact. Javi, 2015, injured most of the year. Comes up, playoff, home run, John Lackey in game four of the NLDS. Still, the expectations of 2015 when Javi was called up weren't that high with Addison Russell or shortstop, Chris Bryant debuting at third base, and you had Ben Zobers presumably at second base. But Madden 
the ability for him to adjust towards the playoffs shifted over the entire construction of the order. Javi went to second base. Zobris went to left field. Chris Bryant stayed at third base. And Javi worked his way into the lineup while adjusting and early on getting sparing playing time to make those adjustments. To your point, you can imagine a similar situation. PCA, in a best-case scenario, gets called up, makes his adjustments, works with Dustin Kelly, uh, feels comfortable with his new rigid athletic batting position, contact rate improves, starts slugging. They find a way to get PCA in center field. Bellinger moves to first base. Bush maybe DHs. Morel gets his third base consistent playing time, and we win the World Series. That, to wow. me, sounds like the best possible outcome. Book it, it. Lock it in. <laughs> that sounds great to but, me. But, but the parallels are there. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, again, a lot of this stuff will work itself out. If yeah. If we end up in a scenario where we are trying to figure out how to get everybody playing time, wonderful. If we are sitting here struggling to find how do we get, you know, Bush is doing so well, Morell's doing so well, PCA, uh, like Canario, great. Oh, that now, sounds now great. Get, that sounds like a wonderful crazy. problem to Get have. In the past year, there. like you think about the beginning of last year where we were looking at the six through nine spots in the lineup and all of us needed a barf bag. I was looking at that. the leadoff spot and getting a barf bag. Uh, sometimes, yeah. Like yeah, that's the problem you don't want to have. We don't have anybody to cover these positions. If the Cubs miraculously end up in a situation where everything goes right, wonderful, great. Oh, man. <laughs> Sign me up. Dream. All right, let's take a quick ad break here and we'll get back at it. First ad break from new sponsor, Monster Jams. The most unexpected, unscripted, and unforgettable motorsports experience for families and fans in the world today returns to Chicagoland for an adrenaline-charged weekend at the Allstate Arena from March 1st to 3rd this weekend. I saw Monster Jams when I was a younger child. One of my favorite experiences, Corey. The world's best drivers show up crazy skills in all-out racing and fierce head-to-head -head battles for the event championship. Engineered to perfection, the 12,000-pound monster jam trucks push all the limits in freestyle skills, donuts, and racing competitions. So see world-class athletes in action performing the craziest stunts in motorsports. Experience big-time family at Monster Jam. Unexpected, unscripted. Unforgettable. This is Monster Jam. See you live at the Allstate Arena again, March 1st, 3rd, this weekend. And the link for tickets are in the description below. Second break here from Price Picks. Football season, it's over. Don't worry. The action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's the tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high stake basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Price Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app, where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. Conference tournaments are here, which means the biggest moments in college basketball are getting closer. Be a part of the action on Price Picks for both men's and women's college basketball. And if you want to bet and use Price Picks for NBA action, Here's an example. Kevin Durant for more than 28 points and Trey Young for more than 10 assists. Uh, you can put that into prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash CHGO. Use code CHGO. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. 
All right, Brendan, uh, coming back here, I do want to get back into the discussion. Um, I, I will say, again, there, there's plenty to talk about with Cody Bellinger and the overall offseason. And I, I think we'll we'll get there and, and we'll talk about, you know, where this team stands in terms of the offseason and everything at, at some point. But I do want to talk at least a little bit about the the current goings on in Mesa as, as spring training is still happening. I reiterate to you, Brendan, and we've talked about it. You're a big almost, spring training guy. Almost daily, no. <laughs> but like I I just love hearing Craig Council talk. I, know, I, I, I don't I don't want to get too carried away because I have always been of the belief, and I've said this before, uh, you know, years ago when talking about Theo, I think like nobody is infallible in this game. Nobody is always right, nobody is perfect. Everybody makes mistakes and you don't want to put players, managers, front office people on too much of a pedestal, but I, you and I routinely send each other. We might as well have like a folder of this where it's just stuff that Craig council says, and all either of us say to each other is, can you imagine David Ross saying this? (laughs) And the answer is no, like no way. I know. I know the quote that he, that they were talking about where, Jed Hoyer was talking about needing a three hole hitter and council's response was no, we need a three win player. Listen, I I don't want every discussion of Craig council to turn into like, let's make it about David Ross, but at least in this first transition, it really is my first thought most of the time. Like I, I don't, I can't imagine David Ross articulating something like this. And it makes me really excited. It does. He was also asked council, what his version of a team looks like, his response was, I don't know. And I, I love that because it shows his flexibility. And he, you know, there's always different answers that managers will give. Even Joe Madden with the Angels suggested he wanted to return to an Angel style of baseball. And whereas Madden liked that style, you have counsel who is more perhaps open to seeing how things fall into place. And that's been the theme for me this spring training is council is going to put forth different opportunities for guys, but he's open-minded. He'll see how things play out and he'll adjust accordingly. And I'm sure in his mind, he has backup plans and fill fail safes. For example, Christopher Morrell at third base, but I appreciate with council. You can tell that the thought process, the intention, the willingness to change his expectations and ideas is very notable from the start. And it's not to say that it wasn't the case for Ross or former managers either, even though I put out the the, the Joe Madden example, but at least from a media communication standpoint, I pick up on that more. And everything they say to the media is not at face value, but still read body language, see councils past ways he's managed teams. I believe that truly the best players are going to play. The best hitters are going to get the most at-bats. And the best pitchers are going to pitch the most innings without completely getting fatigued. I genuinely believe that. And I've I've never felt that way about a manager ever. And I, I'm a big Joe Madden guy. I love Joe Madden. But even then, I thought, huh, you might get some crazy stuff with Joe Madden. I'm fine with that. With Council, I'd be shocked if we're talking about his moves in June and July in disgust or being discontent with the decisions he's making. 
Yeah. And, you know, to, to my earlier point, I do want to be clear. We will if we do feel that way. But, yeah, I, I, I don't expect it. I, I love the way that he seems to think about the game of baseball. And I think to have him as the manager, a guy like Dansby as your sort of veteran leader and someone who is obsessed with winning in the way that he is, I think the Cubs have themselves some really good people that are at the forefront of this organization, which is important. You need those leaders. You you needed the John Lester leadership in the last regime, the professionalism of someone like Ben Zobrist to go out and do any job he was asked on a particular day. Like you need those guys to sort of set the example and to lead the kind of thought process of the organization. And I, I feel very good about the hands that the organization is in, at least, uh, in the respect of those two. Um, we're, we're still thinking of, we're still thinking about you, Jed, you know, make the playoffs, make the playoffs once, and then we'll talk about something else once I'll take once, (laughs) but to your point about, you know, Lester and, and Zobris and, and past veterans, even, uh, Jake Arrieta, it's, it's not, Oh, set the example and be a clubhouse leader and hoorah, right? It's not like that. It's the tangible difference in developing as a player that leads to wins yeah. on the field. For example, Jake Arietta with Kyle Hendricks. One reason why Hendricks approached batters the way he did, his specifically two-seamer on the outside corner, was in part due to Arietta's preparation and watching him do that. You can apply similar thinking to Jordan Wicks and Kyle Hendricks now, where Kyle Hendricks leads often with changeups, and Wicks is all behind Kyle Hendricks following his lead. And I'm sure there's moments, and you even saw pictures of them exchanging pitch grips and thinking processes. So it's not just set the example and be yeah. a clubhouse leader and get these guys in position. It's the ability to, as I always try to say, like fail fast, adjust, find your comfort zone. And when you have players like veterans, like Kyle Hendricks, like the former John Lester's, it helps those guys adapt faster. And to your point, John Lester, Justin Steele coincided, even John Lester, or rather uh, Justin Steele has mentioned Lester's advice going down into fastballs, prompted a potential Cy Young winner in Justin Steele. That does matter in promoting the development of players. Yeah. And I mean, look, this team also still needs to learn how to win. And that's kind of a a cliche you hear a lot in sports, but this team and a lot of the players on it have not necessarily experienced that. They got kind of close last year. You know, they had a, a winning record, but they fell short of making the playoffs and like truly experiencing that. And you need those guys that can kind of set that tone and help you learn how to win that is one advantage though we talked about this last uh last year too even though they did not make the playoffs that high stress environment in late august crucial yeah well that was one of the things we talked about when people were debating what they should do with the trade deadline yeah and i think you know even at the time i mean i'm pretty sure everybody uh with chgo cubs was in buy mode but in particular i know you and i talked about like even even if even if they don't win the World Series or make the playoffs, some of these guys have never played in a pennant they, race. They've they never played high leverage games in August and September. You need that experience, and that's not to say that you know a 
you see rookies perform on the big stage all the time. It's not to say that it's impossible to do, but learning about your players in a high stress environment is very useful. And those guys getting those uh, opportunities is very useful. Justin Steele pitching a meaningful game down the stretch in September is a lot more valuable than him pitching a meaningless game against the pirates in September. Like those things matter. So I, I I think it's all part of the process, but it's just to reiterate that I just love listening to Craig council talk about the game of baseball. I am thrilled with the way that he seems to look at, at things. And you know, it, 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 it's something that obviously is going to matter a lot in this particular year, because as we come to what seems to be the end of the off season and maybe looking at what this final roster might look like, as we kind of talked about with David Ross last year, this is a, a, and, and Craig has sort of consistently proven this in Milwaukee, but this is a test of his chops, man. This is not a perfect roster. This is not a roster that has clear and and excellent answers at every single position. He's going to have to manage some younger guys. He's going to have to manage some guys that are getting a a bigger opportunity than they've ever had at this level. And it's not going to be the easiest thing to manage. There's certain decisions where they, they may reach a point that they have to move on from a particular experiment. Or as we were talking before, everything's going so well. How do you manage all of this playing time? Where does everybody yeah. play? How are you managing days off? This is not, again, it's it's very easy to always just reference everything to the 2016 Chicago Cubs. Why is that? Why is that? they won the World Series won and were one of the, the best World teams Series. we've okay. ever seen. Oh, yeah, 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 true. But Joe had a lot of work to do in that season, and I don't mean to suggest otherwise, but there's a lot of really, really good players on that team. And especially like you look at the pitching staff, generally a group that you can kind of just give them the ball every five days. Don't worry. Which is what happens. Yeah. Right. But that is not the 20, that is not what the 2024 Cubs are going to be. It is not a team that at least at this moment has, what was it? Seven all-stars. I don't even know. I think think it was seven. Yeah. I mean, I could do it in my head. It was Zobrist, Fowler, Lester, Rizzo, Bryant, Russell. I feel like there was another one. I don't, I'm bad with that. I'm and surprised I'm you're not counting thinking. on your fingers. Good for you. I am. Off screen. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> but uh, there's someone we're forgetting and we're going to get yelled at. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just thinking about you counting on your fingers. That's fine. Uh, oh, Arietta. Duh. Tr- was that 2016 too? I'm going to look up the picture while we're talking. All right. I'll um, look at the anyway, you, you can do that. You look that up. Yeah. But anyway, to just to wrap up that point, like it, it's, it's going to be a test for council, not a test, but it, it is not something where you'd, yeah, it was Arietta. It was seven. Okay. There you Zobris, go. Russell, Rizzo, Lester. Follow I, should, I should have known that. I'm like embarrassed by not knowing that. So it was Arietta that I forgot. Oh, but okay. we didn't remember. So anyway, I'm All very right. excited about Craig council. That's the point. Uh, We'll continue talking about uh, some goings on of spring training when we return. Okay. With Empire today, Corey, you get shop at home convenience, the right product for your needs, quick and professional installation, and a low price guarantee. Empire today is the best place to get new flooring. So, of course, they have copycats, but Empire cannot be beaten on quality service speed so competitors advertise low quality products that empire simply will not carry 
Empire won't promise the lowest prices because anyone who does is putting flooring in their home they would not put in their own home. Empire's philosophy is to help you find what you need, not overwhelm you with thousands of choices and substitutes. What they have, what they leave out of their selection is as important as what they put in. Empire's product team exhaustively combs through thousands of product samples each year to find the perfect style. They pride themselves on also their convenient shop at home service. They help their customers shop for floors where they use their floors so they can see exactly what their new floors will look like in their home's lighting and decor so they can make informed decisions. Schedule a free in-home estimate today. All listeners can receive a $350 off discount when they use promo code CHGO. Restrictions do apply. See Empire today.com slash chgo for details and you guys have heard it all spring training this show is presented by blue moon i love blue moon blue moon is one of my favorite beers blue moon made brighter get blue moon delivered and see delivery options by visiting get.bluemoon.com slash chgo celebrate responsibly again blue moon brewing company from Colorado, Golden Colorado, is a golden beer. I wish I had a blue moon right now, Corey. Well, now, Brendan, I, I was I was going to ask you, are you an orange slice in the blue moon, man, or just straight out the bottle? I used to be an orange slice guy in my younger days, but in my older grizzly days, and by the way, I'm getting a few gray hairs right now, I don't have the energy to put the orange in. I just want to get the blue moon and drink it right away. My patience yeah. is wearing thin. Yeah, I mean, all, all of this Blue Moon talk, uh, especially, I mean, I've been in L.A. for a little bit, but obviously I'm back in Chicago. Big L.A. guy. Where yeah. I live. No. Um, and, you know, it just has you you thinking about those, like, crisp summer evenings, and there there may not be a better beer in the world than a Blue Man. Moon on a nice, warm, humid Chicago night. The Cubs have just won nine to nothing over the Pittsburgh Pirates. You crack a Blue Moon. Tough to beat. I'll take a Reds win, a win over the Reds, then a Blue Moon. That's the way I would beat that instead of the Pirates. Sure. <laughs> but I'm not going to get greedy. <laughs> Fair. Um, all right. Getting back to it, how how much tape on a daily basis are you watching of Christopher Morel's mechanics at third base? I've seen every video. If you're like seriously asking, how do you feel? Early return. I feel good. I think there needs to be room on cleaning up the transition to his throws but it's a work in progress he's been doing this for like two weeks what i appreciate most about morell is i have confidence he can make the plays his his glove is good i think that's one area of his game that gets under noticed he's a natural shortstop he was brought up through the system playing shortstop he's made plays at second base looking good he's made plays at shortstop looking good because of his glove work the challenge is just transitioning to those throws uh, mitigating some of those longer throwing motions and getting accurate throws. So if he can improve that, which I always thought he could improve, uh, prove it. I was frustrated that he was not getting opportunities to do it back then. All he needs to do is be passable at third base. If he's a passable defensive third baseman who's going to hit 30-plus home runs, continue to develop, that's all I'm asking for. I'm not asking him to be, you know, Matt Chapman. I'm not asking him to be Aramis Ramirez back then defensively. Just be passable, pick the ball up, throw at the first base, 
do it more times than errors and I'll be happy. Yeah. I mean, tough to, you know, certainly tough to judge in such a small sample. So early into spring, but I, I have the confidence he's going to put in the work and they'll reevaluate. Uh, but I, I agreed with, you know, the, the logic that Craig council was putting out when they first sort of made the decision, like we're going to give him some runway there. It's important yeah. that he get the shot. It would be really, really valuable if he can make it work. I will and, say I was watching his setup position in this as context. He's playing more in than I imagined. And so I'm thinking, why is he doing that? He has 99th percentile arm strength. Why is he playing so far in? And to me, I think that's a starting point. If I had a guess, I'm just speculating. A starting point similar to what Nick Magical did last yeah. year and just getting easier throws. Unlike Magical, it doesn't have to sprint and curl hop as if he's throwing the home plate from the outfield. But just get his feet, his momentum going to first base is something I think they're working on by letting him start a little bit further in at the start of the at-bat. Well, and I, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm certainly not a baseball coach, but you just... Actually, you were. <laughs> well, I was not a coach, but yeah. Okay, you were like, a manager. I call it they, a Skipper. No, I, okay. I was the the like interim bench coach for the Dominican summer league Rangers for like 10 games, coach. but I was bench, bench coach yes. coach, but I was down there for player development and scouting, not yeah. to, to help anything. players feel ground balls. Sure. And Jose uh, but pitches. I think, you know, you just got a guy who was not a third baseman and who people wondered, me if he could actually play a passable third base. And I was wrong about that. And I've admitted that, but you just went through the process of figuring out, okay, how do we make this work? How do we make this work for the player? And so I think you apply that same logic. Of course, Christopher Morrell and Nick Madrigal are completely different athletes, players. They have completely different skills, almost like polar opposites, basically. Yeah, One is a great athlete and the other one passes. Right. Same one of them same. could probably hit a homer with one arm. The other can't yeah. do it with two. So it's fine. Yeah. But, but Ryan's going to get so mad at us for, <laughs> we can't go, we have to go one episode without yelling about Nick Madrigal, but yeah. we'll see. That day is we'll not see. today. No. But I think it is smart with Morell to, you know, kind of work backwards. Like, okay, obviously the end game is he can position himself like Matt Chapman at the back of the diamond and rocket a hundred mile an hour throw That's best to, case scenario. Yeah. To Michael Bush's chest, but he can't do that right now. So let's make things easier. And how do we mitigate some of the throwing angle problems, the sort of errant throws. And hopefully as you do that, you can start to, okay, now you can set up a little further back. Now you can set up a little further back and you keep working on that. But the yeah. bat is so good that just passable at third base is going to make this a valuable exercise. And I think you can get beyond that, but it is going to be a work in progress. So, um, it, I do, I do like, you know, you know how I feel about spring training and the exhibition games and stuff like that, but yeah, I do like it. kind of being able to tune in with purpose to some of these games, you know, like it's, it feels like we're doing research. Like, I don't care what anyone else is doing. I don't care, you know, you you brought it up, I think, the last time we talked about how it, you know, Dan's B in spring training last year was horrid. Yeah, who cares? Good. No, nobody cares that, about I stuff like that. But I do like turning in the game and like, you know, the ball gets hit to third. I'm like, okay, you know, let's see, Chris. Come <laughs> Here on. We go. Come on, you gotta make a good throw. 
Yeah. I like it. He, there was one play he was turning to, not the best throw, but if you look at that play, you can tell he's playing in, shaded towards second base, and it's a work in progress. And sometimes you have to make those errors to recalibrate your brain to get those throws on track. Are you talking about the games. one on uh, Thursday? I am. I am. And, well, and they turned the double play. They turned the double play. And they got the outs. They got the out. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. If they got happened, the outs. He comes up later, almost you know hits a what? home run. Like, that's what that's what you're going and for. And you know what? There's no better second baseman to throw to than gold glover Nico Horner. Yeah. There's no other shortstop to seek advice than Dansby Swanson. If this is the infield coaching staff and personnel group to help Morel progress, it's this one. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we are at the point where I don't think we've been able to glean anything from the lineups that Craig Council has put out there. Well, Nico Horner batted cleanup on Thursday. So that's so you're points, thinking that's the plan? <laughs> just points to his Well, I, I, I did. So I, I have a question on Nico, but yeah. the, the point I was making about the lineups is, you know, obviously like the veterans, the stars, they want to get their at-bats and they want to go home. So you're not structuring a spring training lineup necessarily as you might. Uh, you don't know the that. regular season. You don't know that with Nico sure. Horner down to clean up. But I, I, I am intrigued that at least we saw, at least it was once, Ian Happ hitting leadoff. Yeah, so was I. Yeah. And yeah. again, that can be a thing. Hey, get me my at-bats so that I can leave the game in the fourth inning and go home, or, please. Or it could be. But I it it so it feels like the type of thing that if i were craig council coming over to the cubs that would be one of the first things i would be asking about why yeah. doesn't this guy hit lead off cuz he is he he has the on base percentage in the eye to do it like what am i missing that you guys always hit him in the three hole and never have him lead off and you know we don't know if you know it's it's not ian's preference and things like that but I am not, again, even if you can't read into it because it's just a spring training lineup, I would be stunned if it's not something that Craig Council is like, I'm pretty sure this makes yeah, the most like, sense. What are we doing here? And it does make sense. You look at uh, Ian Happ's overall chase rate. It's among the best in the league. You look at qualified hitters last season, 133 qualified hitters. Ian Happ's chase rate was 28th out of 133 Hitters. And you saw it too with the ability to make hard contact. And at times, Ian Happ shortened the swing up, two strike approach, stopped the strikeouts. Seems like the ideal guy to bat leadoff. Then again, one of Council's advantages is that he's going to talk to the players, relate to his players. And if for some reason, Ian Happ is not comfortable there and you can't perform in that leadoff spot, despite on paper looking like that's the best spot to be in, then he's not going to bat leadoff. And I'll trust that judgment but you know ideally i would like to see ian have bat lead off i would like to see the best hitters get the most at bats and that's some form and some uh combination of ian app say suzuki cody bellinger up top and the top three maybe dansby swanson and so on and so on and so on as the lineup progresses but i think ultimately if ian Happ is not batting lead off i do think one of the better hitters will bat leadoff, and one of those hitters, I'm confident, is not going to be Nick Magical, Corey. Not to hate on the guy again, but I'm just saying, 
Nick yeah. Masco bet a leadoff several times last year, and especially against some of those games in the Cardinals in May. And I have full and so confidence. Master Boney too. <sighs> yeah. Crazy, yeah. you know. Crazy. I, I, I will say, and I know, I know you didn't mean this, but because you said it, like we we cannot, because you only got to three hitters, but like Dansby should not be hitting before I, I would say six. In a perfect world, sure. but he's been working on some stuff. I don't know. Maybe you can improve that power again. Hit thirty home runs. Yeah, but you're I'm just right. saying. Yes, you're right. And yeah, yeah I mean, Dansby is going to be that you know slightly above league average hitter and that Gold Glove defender, which is worth four to six wins. So yeah. So I did want to ask you about Nico, though. I know he's. Uh, he looks like he's made some slight adjustments and yeah. I know, you know, people have speculated, maybe try to get a little bit more of that line drive power. We've seen him take those line drives for the home runs that he hits and certainly playing at Wrigley field. If you can get those line drives into those power alleys, it, it can be a, a successful strategy, even for guys that don't have a ton of power. What do you think about the potential of a change, him tweaking things, even if it's ever so slightly, how do you feel about that as uh, the world's maybe first or second? I don't know if you're the number one Nico fan, but I'm not the number one Nico yeah. fan. No, there's others. There's others out there. Uh, but in general, I I like the concept. I like him trying to go out there and uh, and and improving his game at the same time i'm a little bit hesitant because he has had success in his format of uh kind of a, a level low plane swing and there's a side of me that doesn't want to tinker with those successful results but i trust nico's judgment smart guy has made the adjustments and if you if he feels comfortable trying this out then yeah I'm excited about it. If he can improve his contact, his uh, overall power rate from, you know, 10 home runs to 15 home runs, that's a marked improvement in, in his overall, let's say, uh, 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 runs created plus. That can go from 100 league average, an extra five home runs can jump up to like 105 to 110. So it would be a significant improvement. But again, part of me is a little skeptical if you call it that and trading off contact for that power because nico's contact rate is among the best in in major league baseball so we'll see visually he looks a little different at least from a batting practice perspective uh in the games kind of hard to tell i think once you get into that high adrenaline environment then things um kind of revert back to muscle memory at times. And there is a base hit up the middle in Thursday's game where high fastball and he has that natural flat kind of like even uh, uh, a swing plane. And that was showcased on that base hit. Otherwise, maybe you would have expected him to lift that ball. But those are small examples. Overall, interested. We'll see what he says. He has actually said he's trying to improve his power. And I said, that's what I look for in spring training is what guys are saying they're trying to do. But ultimately, we'll see if it lasts. This is the time to do it. So I have confidence he'll at least figure out if he wants to continue with these adjustments. Yeah, uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, I am curious, just as we're you know getting toward the end of our show here, um, you know, as we talk about you know still options on the board. I know, like even uh, was it Jed or uh, uh, Scott Boris or Cody? One of them mentioned Jordan Montgomery. Uh, was it, it was correct. It was correct. It was correct. Council, right? Duh. <laughs> Your guy. 
so, you know, like, and I mean, you know, there was a report the other day that Blake Snell might be interested in doing a one year, you know, sort of the same yeah, type of no, thing. No, I'm so, in hey, listen, like, if you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Fine. But we'll see. But what I what I do want to ask you is particularly on like a DH kind of move. You have no interest in someone like J.D. Martinez. Can I assume that's correct? I am I'm interested in improving the team. I operate under a realistic threshold of this payroll. So I don't think they're going to spend 15 million on JD Martinez when they're only 25 million underneath the second tier of mm-hmm. the luxury tax. I'd be shocked. So underneath that that assumption, no, I'm not interested in JD Martinez if it prohibits them from making other moves to the bullpen or starting pitching staff come the trade deadline. So that's how I operate. Yeah, well, and I mean, I'm just curious because I think, you know, a lot of people have been hoping that a guy like Canario or, you know, whoever, however, you know, some of this other stuff shakes out just gets that opportunity. And so I think especially when you factor in the cost, it does become a a question of like, of course, you know, some of these guys are proven, established, really good hitters that would lengthen and improve the lineup. I'll take them. But I'll take them. You know, there's an opportunity cost to be discussed. But we had cost last off season in signing Michael Fulmer. It was, I think, a justifiable risk. Yeah. But the cost was by signing those guys that have some risk, it will stop the Cubs front office of going over certain tiers of those tax thresholds. Last year, it was Fulmer. It was Barnhart. It was Mancini. And ultimately, at the trade deadline, they made the decision. You're shaking your head. And so am I. And not to bring down the I mean, mood over here, but it was so many plate appearances, it's Brendan. So many plate appearances that they did that. to just unbelievable trash. <laughs> that stopped them from wanting to go over that first tier. That is what happened, and they did not improve upon Jose Quas, which I thought was a good addition, but still it was not enough, as was our fears. So I'm operating under the same context where I want to leave open opportunities come the trade deadline to make significant projectable improvements, not ones with a little bit of risk embedded like Jose Quas. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I think, you know, this is one of those things where the true budget that Jed is working with, which of course we do not know, is really at the heart of this conversation because I do you think, think they go over the first tier. They're four million dollars away right now. Do you think they end like your gut tell you in the off enter, season or at all in the off season? No, I think they're done. I think they're done. I think they're kind of done. It's, it's like the same. They're at the same point as last well, and, season, and and that kind of gets to you know sort of what we talked about, where it's like. I, I think there could be a good debate of, is that a successful off season? Are we happy with this, et cetera? And my gut answer is no, because it feels like they're content to look at things and say, we can win this division and that's good enough. And if that happens to be 86 wins, doesn't matter. Whatever wins the division wins the division. And, you know, I think we would all hope that they would have a different attitude of, no, we need to be able to look at things and say, we can beat the Braves, we can beat the Dodgers, we can beat the Phillies, and we can win a World Series. Then you get into all the nuance you already explained where ownership is going to say, you're already at one of these tax thresholds. If you couldn't build a roster that's better than that, 
you know, I gave you the money and that's all I'm going to give you. So it's a, it's a nuanced discussion, but I think without knowing the true budget, it's, it's tough to advocate for some of those things. Like, I think you look at someone like JD Martinez and, you know, some of them are off the board now, but there were certainly other options. Um, you know, if you were looking for someone strictly to DH, you know, even someone like Justin Turner, right. Who is, is no longer on the market, but like was someone who early in the off season made a lot of sense, but like, you know, look last year, JD Martinez put up a 135 WRC plus he would immediately make this lineup much better. And not, not even just much better, but like more projectable because it's, it's one less thing, even though he's getting older, that's an unknown, like some of the positions that the Cubs have. But I think this is one of those situations where you and I don't run the team and we don't control the money and neither does everybody listening. They have budgets, they have levels and thresholds that they are willing to exceed or not exceed. And I, I, I don't think that a DH is what they're going to pass over one of yeah. those thresholds for. I think that they are content to give Canario an opportunity, or if Morel is not able to play third base adequately, give him that opportunity or use it for guys when PCA is up. I, I think they're content to do that, and I don't think they're going to view it as worth it um, I, to I don't think so. make that sacrifice. JD Martinez is projected at 1.5 war for next season. So that might improve your win projection by from 81 to 82, 81 to 83. You're still within that gray area yeah. where it can go in the both good and bad direction. And the cost is going over that first tier, yeah. starting your luxury tax penalties for what an extra win. Yeah from an aging J.D. Martinez doesn't make sense to me. Now, it. if they go over with Snell on a one-year prove-it contract just keep for $30 million, over. then you blow yeah. over all those penalties. And now, of course, I would be fine with that, no doubt. Well, and I think the, the follow-up to that, though, is, you know, as you alluded to, what you would want to hold this organization, hold their, you know, feet to the fire on is like last year, if you find yourself at the deadline with an opportunity to improve your team, and that is what pushes you over, you need to do it. Because I think the the point that you're making is right now, does it make sense from an organizational perspective to push past one of those thresholds to improve your, your win projection a, a couple games when you already feel like you're at the spot where you can win this division? Yeah. To the front office, no. But if you get to the deadline and you are doing that, you are winning your division or you feel very strongly about your chance to make the playoffs, then find the opportunity to then address what I just said. Now the question is, okay, we feel like we're competing in the division. We're doing that. Now how do we think in four months we might be playing the Atlanta Braves? How are we going to beat them? And go and exactly. do it. And if exactly. they don't, like they didn't last year, then that's where the problem really comes in. And especially if it's similar to last year where there's some pretty glaring needs and things that you need to supplement for the team to be able to cross the finish line. So I'm, again, operating in reality with how this organization is is going to operate. I am fine with where we're at. You're I will not sucker for Tom Ricketts. Exactly. Look at you. Look exactly. at you. 
<laughs> in your I, Cubs I, jacket from 2003. <laughs> right. Oh my god. This is the this is the type of footage where if I even loosely suggest it, like I'm not keeping my season tickets. They they they're they're in the office. My my wonderful season ticket rep Zachary is in the office going, sure, yeah. here yeah. you are. <laughs> that big collar right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, man, yep. Len anyway, just let us know when the payment comes. We'll yeah. take care of that for you. Oh my gosh. So With, yeah. But yeah. but just to to finish that thought there, like fine with where they find themselves, even if, again, in an ideal world, they would have maybe a higher bar for where they were entering the season. But if they, they have to be willing to be aggressive, if this season is coming together in the way that they want, like last year, you sort of treated it as a like, hey, we're doing what we said, let's let it ride. And David Ross sort of literally said that several times, we're just going to keep riding the guys that got us here. It's working. Let's just see if it keeps working. This is a year that you can't have that same attitude. You know, you're coming back, you're trying to get better. Not making the playoffs was a horrible disappointment to everybody in the organization, or at least that's what they said. So treat it that way. If things are going well and Michael Bush is the hitter you wanted him to be, Christopher Morell's your third baseman, supplement the group to help them ensure that they get through September and have a, a real threat to do something in October. Don't use that luxury tax threshold and say, no, no, it's got to work with, with what we have. It doesn't matter if we need another bullpen arm or yeah. another starter or whatever, whatever it is, treat it aggressively. You can't treat this year the same as last year. Past front offices on this Cubs staff have gone over those luxury taxes when the time was right. And they've faced those penalties, maybe not as often as we'd like, or as extreme as we'd like going over those taxes, but they've still done that. If there's an opportunity for them to do that, where it dramatically improves their odds of success in the playoffs, I have confidence they're going to do that. Where sometimes I don't have confidence is getting from that point where you're making a decision to put the team over the top. So right now, an 81 win projection, if you sign Blake Snell, let's say at the very top range of his of Snell's projection is an extra three to four wins. So you go from 81 wins to maybe let's call it 85 wins. Let's be crazy. You're at 85 wins. Now, plus or minus seven wins, go plus seven wins to 92. So you're talking from the top tier of a realistic chance of overperforming from 81 to 88, from 85 to 92. That top tier of 92 should win the division on paper going in. So therefore, going over the first tier of the luxury tax might make sense in the offseason instead of waiting to see where you are at the midseason. For J.D. Martinez, you're not going to push your potential projection to plus 90. So I yeah. think they would rather wait towards the midseason to make that decision. If That is ultimately the, the comparison. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, so... And I think that's, I think that's all we have for you. Um, as far as, you know, anything else, I mean, I think, you know, continuing to watch a lot of the same stuff that we've talked about, um, you know, how this fifth starter thing is shaking out, how these guys look, but so early in spring training, it's, it's very difficult. Like I know Drew yeah. Smiley got hit pretty hard on Thursday, but you know, so what, what? we know he's working on stuff. And I think, for a lot of this, it's it's too early to make calls. Um, but 
you know, each and every day, like I said, I'm, I'm watching Christopher Morrell at third base. I'm watching to make sure everybody's healthy. We've got a few little like swing adjustments to pay attention to PCA every day is, you know, basically must watch television to see how he's doing. Yeah. It's been fun to see Owen Casey getting these opportunities for sure. That's um, right. Yeah. Oh, Matt Shaw. He's going to yeah, be man. such a guy. He dude. is, dude. He is. <laughs> He's Easy. got that attitude. And he, sure. well, I mean, not only you watch him like just smoke the ball, but yeah, he's yeah. got that bulldog. Like he does. Attitude. Yeah. It's great. No I, I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, other than that, I'm just enjoying listening to Craig council talk. Um, and I'm going to try to not get too carried away. You love Craig council. I don't think I've ever seen you this like uh work up by a coach. I think it's like one of those things where it's like dawning on me that I think I dislike kind of the manager much more than I maybe initially thought. Yeah. In retrospect, those quotes and I'm like, man, this is cool. This manager is like really smart. And like, he understands the game of baseball so well. And you've mentioned it before, but like he also, it's, it's not as though he is some front office nerd that they have planted in there. He is, he is every bit the gamer grinder, everything that David Ross was. Dude, he's got this massive dip in his, in his mouth right here. He's a baseball dude. It's not taking anything away from David Ross, but I think Craig council is such a unique blend of a guy that could be a front office executive with the way that he understands the analytics and the data side of the game that the game is going to. But he's also like, he's been in the trenches, man. Like he, he was a, a, a journeyman type. He's been done, done the pinch hitter thing. Game he's done the winning hits thing. in the world series. Yeah. Like he's Dude, been there, he's, done that he's a guy. Yeah. Look at us talking about Craig Castle in a positive light. Who would have thought? Well, ago? that never, I mean, that still dawns on me. Can you, can you imagine looking at our faces right now, hearing what we're saying about Craig Castle a few no. years ago would have been nuts. Absolutely no. nuts. Crazy. I mean, I, you know, there, there was a thing going around. Um, I, I, I'm forgetting who posted it, but it was, I know it was on uh, Twitter where it was kind of like, which of these things is the, would, would eight years ago yourself think is yeah. the most unbelievable. And you know, it's like a picture of KB in a different uniform, Anthony in a different uniform, Craig council in a Cubs uniform. And I think it was that weird picture of Yachty in the Cubs stuff from yeah. wherever he is. Um, we'll which say isn't in real, but the photo's real, but obviously he's not with the cup. Yeah. Thank goodness. Uh, but yeah, it's easily, I think, well, is it, if you asked me in 2015 and you show me a picture of Anthony Rizzo in a Yankees Jersey, I would have been ill. <laughs> what so about, I don't know. I'm kind of scared bringing this up. What about John Lester in a Cardinals uniform? That didn't happen. So didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. What about John Lester in a, in a Red Sox hat in 2024? Well, I mean, look, I how do you feel about that? Come on. We got, we got, we got to talk about it at first. That doesn't really bother me. Like he's, if like, he, little, if, little if, bit if, of if I, if, if my campaign to get him into the hall of fame is successful, I fully expect him to wear a Red Sox hat. I always did. Uh, I don't know. I guess. All I'm saying is I don't have, yeah, I you're never, right. I never had a, a belief that he was like a cub at heart. He had such a tremendous career in Boston from yeah. when he came back and, and the, the success he had there and just his story throughout that process that I, I, I feel like he is always sort of a Red Sox 
um, at heart, even though his tie to the Cubs is quite strong and then significant for someone who already had that tie somewhere. And look, the Cubs got rid of his guy to hire somebody else. But he understood it. In fact, he almost... I, I think he understood it, it but I, I guess know. I'm just saying it's not a surprise that immediately after that happens, he's in spring training with the Red Sox. Like it, now, I, I, I get it. If he was in Cubs spring training, does that mean Ross hated Lester? They get rid of Ross and all of a sudden Lester <laughs> hey, comes listen, in? Some people have folks that they work really well with. They don't have to be friends outside of work. I, yeah. I, I feel like I, I remember reading that the guys on Mythbusters hated each other. But really? they work really well together. Well, there you go. You know, so, I mean, you hate me, but look at us. I was going to make the same joke. <laughs> but you were, you didn't want to offend me. You, you thought I would take that a little bit too I harsh. do think it's interesting that in both of our jokes, I'm the one that hates you. That's what I was going to say too. Yeah. So it's not well, like I was going to reverse it, it. That's kind of how it goes. You know, yeah. I will say it though. I will say like a good friend I am. I didn't bother you Saturday night when Bellinger signed. I knew I put myself in your shoes. I'm like, I'm not going to bother Corey. And then do his thing with his family. Let him have his time. I'll see him the next day. That's what that's what friends do, Corey. They think about the other person. Yes. Uh, for Bellinger, had this been like, you know, Juan Soto or something, you need to call me. Oh, no, I'm driving up to L.A. That's yeah. a little bit different. I'm driving right. up to L.A. and I'm pulling you away from your family. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think that's all we have for you. Um, we managed to go. I know Cody's going to be glad we managed to go this whole episode without mentioning Paul. Ba oh, shoot. I just said Paul Baco's name. We almost did it, Brendan. Well, you are wearing the 2003 jackets. So that might have been, honestly, that why. night might have been the last time I wore this jacket. Yeah. Because yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I was weirdly, you know, if, if you wear a piece of merch through such a traumatic event, is it bad luck? Can you wear it again? So I don't know. Get it off. If that's the case, I don't want any bad luck, any bad juju for the season. You know, they already won the world. They won the World Series, Brendan. They it's did. All gone. Yeah. They did. It's Which all year gone. again? 2016. The cloud is lifted. It's gone okay. forever. You can the jacket is absolved of its crimes. Okay. Wear whatever yeah. you want. Good for you. I make the rules. Okay. Anyway, uh, good to be back with you all. Um, I missed talking about the Cubs, so it is nice to be back. It is March, so at some point later this month, the Chicago Cubs play a real, honest-to-goodness baseball game that counts. So as I, I, I feel like we go through this every year, but enjoy the low stakes of it now uh, because we are only a mere weeks away from the oh, pressure. I hate it. Or as Joe Madden would say, the pleasure, however you look at it. But things ratchet up in a few weeks here. So we will continue to keep our eye on the goings on in Mesa at spring training as we did for Cody Bellinger. If more breaking news is out there and Jed wants us to assemble at three in the morning again, for some other sure. reason, we will be here. Bring in whoever you want. Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, maybe make a massive trade, do whatever you want. We are ready okay. Jed, for you. Uh, but other than that, in lieu of that, Brendan and I will be back with you next week. Don't forget to tune in to Cody, Luke, and Ryan and the CHG Yoga Cubs gang Monday through Thursday. They have you covered with daily content. Don't forget to visit allchdo.com and check out all of Ryan's great written work. We appreciate you tuning in to the CHGO Cubs podcast and supporting everything going on at CHGO. 
O. Brennan and I will talk to you again next week. And as always, go Cubs. Go, 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 go. Y'all silly like the mayor. 